Before we take some time looking at God's word, let's, uh, let's just open our hearts before the Lord in prayer and ask him to lead and guide and direct us. Father, thank you. You are our Father. And because of Christ, because of his death on the cross, there is a way to be in relationship with you. We have salvation because he paid for our sins. We can know that you are for us and not against us. And so we pray as we come before you this morning, Lord, as we open your word, that you would open our hearts as has been prayed already, that we would be a people ready to listen, ready to hear what you have to say to us. We know as we open your word, there are many obvious things that we would say others need to hear. But Lord, I ask that you'd help us, each one of us as individuals, to have a heart that's tuned to you. It's ready to listen to you. Lord, we confess that we are sinners and we pray that you would remove the obstacles of our sin as we confess, as we look to you for forgiveness, the obstacle of sin that just is a barrier in your communication to us. We want to know your will and we want to do your will. And so teach us, Lord. Lead us, we pray, in your, in your gentle way. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, we're in 1 Peter chapter 4 again. 1 Peter chapter 4, we're looking this morning at uh, verses 7 to 11. And two weeks ago, we began this chapter, uh, this passage that talks about living out grace. And as I noted at that time, most of the New Testament letters, they move, they transition through the letter from talking about theology, the foundations of what we believe to the end of the letter where they're focused on what we should be doing with that theology, how it should be transforming our lives, how it should be changing us. And I know we could say, well, we've been walking with the Lord uh, a long time. You know, we don't really need to change anymore, do we? We don't need to grow. We're good, right? Right, <laughs> right. We need to grow. We need to change. We need to keep continuing to discover how God is wanting to work in us, work through us, and, and really um, glorify his name, first of all, and then impact the world. You know, we always think of the impacting the world. But this first, we need to be glorifying him. And there is a lot of room for you and I to be doing better in that area of exalting a holy God, a just God, a, a perfect God. There's a whole lot for us to be doing yet. And so let's not, uh, let's not um, you know, kind of lay back and think there's nothing for us to learn here. But as we began that first part of the chapter, um, talking about living according to the desires of the flesh, or sorry, living not. Did I say not the first time? Wow, I'm already off track. Living not according to the desires of the flesh, but according to the Spirit, living by the Spirit. And the first six verses that we studied were focused on the not part, not the flesh. And to explain that, we're given the example of Christ and Christ, it says, he suffered according to the flesh. And remember we said, not just in the fact that he went, came from heaven and had to live in this world, but he chose to suffer in the flesh as he lived here in this world. Again and again, he made that decision, not my will, but yours be done, Lord. And he did that in all sorts of small ways, building until he got to the cross, where he suffered in the flesh. Truly, he gave his life to do the will of the Father, his love 
for the Father. I will, I will do this. I will, I will destroy the power of sin. I will take your wrath, your judgment on me so that they can be forgiven. And that's what we see in his life. And we're called, we're called to follow that example. You know, as we come to Christ, as we receive salvation from Christ, as God opens our hearts and makes us aware of what went on for us on the cross, and we believe that Jesus Christ is our Savior, we have this privilege of walking in his example. Not that we die for the sins of the world, but we in him die to sin. And we choose to suffer in the flesh. And in this world, that's an odd thing. I mean, we're free. And in our world today, that has this perverted definition that means you can do whatever you want that's freedom and we see how destructive that is destructive in our society destructive in 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 an individual's life when we do whatever we want what we're saying is we're shaking our fist at, at god and going i'm going to be god I'm going to decide. And that's how it all began, isn't it? But Christ gave us this example. He was the God-man, the perfect man who was also divine. And he said, no, this is how we live in a sin-cursed world. We die to sin. We deny the flesh so that we can honor God. That as we do this, the world looks at us and at first they think we're strange. If we put sin behind us, if we turn from sin, they mistrust us. You know, they gotta have something up their sleeve here. There's gotta be some angle. And that's what it talks about in those first six verses. It talks about people maligning those who put the flesh behind him and say, I'm not going to enter in to those flagrant sins. In fact, they look at us, they think, man, those guys, they, they're perfect or they think they're perfect. And there's this, there's this division as we turn from the flesh and as we say, I am not going to live my life as I would like, I'm gonna honor God. And we struggle with that, don't we? Every morning we get up we need to give ourselves again to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to do your will today. And that's a hard thing to do, even the getting up part. The flesh says, no, stay in there. It's warmer in there. It's safer in there. And we go, no, I'm going to get up. I'm going to serve the Lord today. I'm going to live for his glory. And, and this is a... It's a tough thing. It's a daily, a daily struggle. And some days, are, it's more of a struggle than other days. But here we are. And that is the first half of this idea of walking in the Spirit is just saying, I'm going to deny the flesh. I'm not going to do those things that it would be more natural for me to do, easier for me to do. You know, I could start listing them off. And maybe you're waiting for me to list them off. But maybe I'd list some things that aren't really issues for you and you'd be going, huh, I'm okay. And maybe this is a place where each of us should be dealing with the Lord directly and saying, Lord, you show me where it is. You know, because you think of it. If any one of us understood of all the sinful things that were entering into our life at one time, we'd probably blow up. But God convicts us. What about this thing? And we have this opportunity to say, okay, Lord, I, I'm going to, with your, 
with your strength, I'm gonna put that to one side so that I can know you better, so that I can have closer fellowship with you, so that I can honor you. You deserve my love. Wouldn't it be beautiful if we did that every time God convicted us of something? But how many times do you and I, even as people who've been in this struggle for some time, who know the truth so well, we, we go, yeah, but not yet, Lord. I'm going to hang on to that for a little. I, I'm not going to, you know what? There's a lot of other people who are in the church who don't. And it is so easy for us to rationalize these things that God is saying, you know what? That's something that's getting in a, the way of our relationship. And so this is why this is the, the first step. And this is really the most concrete step in terms of you know, putting things to one side and saying, I'm not going to do those things. But then there's this second part, and you see it throughout the scripture in the different places where it talks about the idea of living our lives for the Lord. There is that part of putting away or putting off or putting to one side and then the putting on. The adding to. Remember I, I talked at the end of last, that last message about playing offense. Not being offensive, but playing offense and how, you know, we've seen it all before when a team tries to sit on a lead, they just try and play defense and eventually the other team scores and then they're in trouble because they've forgotten how to play offense. And so God gives us this, this picture, even in sports, but this, this directive in scripture, it's not just about not doing those bad things. Those flagrant sins, the things that people say, oh, we shouldn't do those. But it's about walking in the spirit, putting off the flesh and walking in the spirit. And these next verses are talking about this very thing, how to walk in the spirit. And I think you and I, even as people, if you're, if you're someone who's been walking with the Lord for a while, probably need tuned up in this. We, I think I need tuned up in this every day what it is to walk in the Spirit. How it is we're supposed to be going forward, not just the defensive stance, but remember, the best defense is a good offense. And if we're going forward in the Christian life, if we're, if we're walking faithfully with the Lord, if we're growing, advancing, serving Him more faithfully, those things, those deep pitfalls are, are going to be off the radar. We're not even going to be thinking about those because we are going to be enjoying more and more what it is to be involved in a loving relationship with God. What it is to be directed and guided by simply this Desire to be in relationship with him, knowing him more fully, knowing him more deeply. So this is the positive side. What does a spirit-led life look like? Not just looking spiritual. This is the danger. It's easy to attach some things to our lives. Look, I carry a Bible. Look, I go to church. Look, I do this or that, or I have a prayer time, or I have a devotional time, or I, I'm kind to people in this way. And, and, you know, we can think it's just adding things too. And boy, in a world that we live in, those things are pretty dramatic. And people might think they're really spiritual. They're a really Christian person or they're a churchy person or whatever they call us. And the danger is we might start to think that we're spiritual people because we do things, we add a few activities to our lives. But the idea here is something completely different. It's to completely submit to God's presence in our lives, to his leading, to be cooperating with him in a relationship 
whereby we are, are, are serving and, and walking and doing his will. And as Christians, we struggle with this. We struggle with this. Sometimes we, we lag behind and, and we're not doing what he's calling us to do. Other times we're running ahead and trying to do things that we've not been asked to do so that we can look spiritual. But this is, this is a different thing. And as we begin these verses, verse seven, it says, and this is the motivation, the end of all things are at hand. He's trying to encourage us, Peter is. He says, the end of all things are at hand. And, and he's saying, you know what? The window is closing. There's a diminishing time frame that we have with which to accomplish God's purposes in this world. It doesn't matter whether we're talking about Christ's imminent return or our impending exit. We have less time. The time, the window is closing for us to serve God here in this world. And I don't think most times we understand the privilege that we have been given. Think of it from God's perspective. I created this world knowing there was going to be sin. I'm putting my people in this world and I am giving them the opportunity to, in this tough context, glorify me. That's where we are. That's our purpose. And as Peter says, the window's closing. There's less and less time. You know, we think about it in context of Christ's return. And you know, there are a lot of people who, who don't even really care about the Bible, who aren't thinking of things really from a Christian perspective, but they're talking about apocalypse. They're saying, wow, you know, things are changing. And all those things that, you know, we, we hear attached to the idea of the end are happening. There's an increase. There's an acceleration of events that are bringing us toward everything we read about in this book that has to do with prophecy of the end times. The whole world coming together around one idea, one universal idea, and everybody being on board and it being something that is completely godless. But we're going to save the world. We're going to fix everything. We're going to get rid of all the, the, the bad. And they define that in their own way. We're going to make things better. And this is what we see going on in the world around us today. And we see things lining up in terms of that being a possibility. It's amazing. A new doctrine, a new religion is born. The whole idea of political correctness and, and people deciding how things should work. And man, it's, it's, it's interesting. It doesn't seem like there's much time in terms of Christ's return. And it doesn't seem like there's much time when we start to think about our own lives personally. We don't like to think about that we tend to forget about the fact that, yeah, we will die someday unless we go through what we've gone through in the last couple of weeks. And then we all of a sudden go, wait a second. That wasn't very long after all. It's a short time we have here in this world. We're told to number our days. Now, why am I saying all this or why is Peter saying all of this? It's not to scare people, as I heard one guy who talks about prophecy saying, but it's to prepare people. The idea is not that we're fretting here. 
but that we're following and we're doing the most important things that we can do. And so let's read this with this in mind. It says in verse 7, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Interesting. Here Peter's telling us how to prepare or how to live in light of the fact that the end is near. And we could say at the very beginning, it seems like they're, they're, they're two opposing ideas. He's saying the end is near and he's saying, be self-controlled, calm. And we go, How? He's saying the end is near. But you know, we think of it in terms of these people who we've been talking about that he's writing to. They're people who are facing really tough times. They're living in a more realistic world than we're living in. You know, we don't realize it, but how we are such a small percentage of this world right now, a small percentage of of the people who've lived in all times, as far as the wealth we have, the comfort we enjoy. And again and again in this letter, Peter's been talking to these people and talking about suffering. And we say, well, yeah, there is suffering in the world, but you know, we do not face the suffering that most people face. Most people in the world are are really concerned about where the next meal is coming from. They walk out their door and they face dangers that you and I don't face. Some of them live in in cities that are bombarded day after day. Yemen. Afghanistan. Iran. Iraq. You know, those are some of the worst examples. And so as believers read this, these are words of comfort to them. The end's drawing near. They're not going, oh no, they're going, oh yes. And the older we we get, the more suffering we face, the more we understand that that that's a good thing. But it also turns that light bulb on that goes, hey, if you're a Christian, I I only have so much more time to serve the Lord in this context. It's gonna be great to worship him in eternity forever. Whatever that involves, whatever that exactly is like, But in this context, in this reality, this is where God has placed us to fulfill his purposes. He says, I want you guys to be my agents of grace in this world. And I haven't left you alone to do it. I've given you my spirit. It's a losing battle if you look at it from a human perspective and you see what's going on around you. But he says, no, you have my spirit. That You're sealed with my spirit. You are able to live in the spirit, to walk in the spirit. And sometimes, you know, we, we go, okay, what does this look like? How do I live in the spirit? And we're concerned, we're concerned about how to replicate something that looks like what God is. Stop it. He's the one that's going to give shape to that. We just need to focus on our, relation, our relationship with him, 
what our responsibility is with him. And as we begin, as he begins talking here with the, in these first verses, we hear words, and it was, it was nice because, you know, I'm thinking about life in the spirit, and all of a sudden you read, be self-controlled, and you go, wait a second. That shows up in Galatians chapter 5. Where Paul is talking about the fruit of the Spirit. You go over there, you see the same thing back in 5.16. He says, walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. That basic idea that's been here. If we're living for the Lord, if we're growing in Him, we're not going to be doing those basic sins. And, and Paul in Galatians 5 gives a list of those things. Don't do these. These are just no-brainers. They have no part in the Christian life. Don't do them. And we think, oh, if I'm not doing those, I'm good. All good. And then we just sit there playing defense and we're struggling not to do those things. But then Paul says in Galatians 5, it's kind of like he says, don't do these things. This is something you're actively involved in, pushing out of your life. And then he passively says, and these are the fruit of the Spirit. We start thinking, how do I have the fruit of the Spirit? Ah, it's love, so I gotta be nice to people. Joy, I'll walk around with a, a smile plastered on my face. I, you know, we start thinking, but you see the way they mention it? It's like these things, they should be there. They can be there. They will be supernaturally natural if we have the Spirit in us. And listen, if you've come to Christ if you know him as your savior, if you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins and you have received him as savior, if God has, has revealed that salvation to you, then these things will be produced in your life because you have the spirit. Ephesians chapter one, sealed in the spirit. He's there. Maybe you're saying, well, I don't really sense the Spirit working in me. Well, let's go through this and make sure we're doing what we should be doing because sometimes we don't know the Spirit's there because we're involved in those flagrant sins. We're walking out and just doing things we shouldn't be doing. And you know what? That's a pretty good way to be unaware of God and His desire to work in your life. And all you're getting is conviction. And that conviction could just be chalked up to guilt. And you're going, I don't, I don't feel it. I don't see the change. I don't see the difference. I don't sense growth in my life. I don't feel like I'm in that love relationship with the Lord. And Peter here and Paul there. They're just saying, you know what? These things will happen. So what do we do? Well, Peter tells us. He doesn't say, do this and get that. He, he doesn't say, here are the activities. But he says, be self-controlled. Be sober-minded. Be serious. Think about this life. Don't just wander through this life like everybody else. You know, the nine to five thing. The, oh, I survived another day. How can I make myself happy? Look at life from the perspective that God has given to us. It says, be self-controlled and sober-minded. Live out those things that, that God has gifted you with, that he's given you, the fruit of the Spirit. Be serious about life. It says, for the sake of your prayers. If you're in Christ, you have the Spirit. The Spirit is prompting you to think about life in a certain way. And, and do that. Think about. Think about these things, these truths, and live like, because if you don't, 
What happens to the relationship? What happens to our prayer? How, how can we possibly, how can we possibly pray? You know, I think about myself. Why can't I pray? Why can't I focus more on the Lord? Well, sometimes it's just, I'm too mixed up in all the other distractions. And I don't even look at myself as being somebody who's really consumed in the social media aspect of things and that. But, but we have offered to us every turn all sorts of distractions. And, and one of the biggest things is just entertainment. Always there. Even our news is entertainment. And I start reading about the news because I've got to be informed about the world, Right? to a degree but we get wrapped up in all these things and then you know we're not we're not living the life uh, the life that God has given us to live we're not thinking seriously about it and saying okay I'm going to be thoughtful about this I'm going to be conscious of what is real and we get wrapped up in all this artificial stuff And then I go to pray. (laughs) And what starts bombarding my mind? And what happens to a relationship that is supposed to be being developed with God where I'm just, I'm deeper into that relationship with him. I'm seeing life more from this perspective and his spirit is is working through me and, and changing me and transforming me. It's not happening because I'm thinking about the latest news and the perspective and, and the, which is more indoctrination. I'm being indoctrinated by the world rather than saying, no, I'm going to draw a line. I'm going to be separate. And I'm going to have, first of all, a relationship with God. I'm going to love him above all else. And I'm going to look at anything I have to look at out there through that lens rather than being immersed in the world and then coming to God. It doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't make sense. A relationship with God does not make sense when we're immersed in the world and its way of thinking. And Peter says, Listen, this should be supernaturally natural in our lives, in the believer's life, because you have the Spirit. You have the Spirit. And so what we're doing here this morning, we come together, we worship, and we are celebrating what we have. And sometimes we're coming here... (laughs) Because we need to be encouraged by others and the presence of others and gathering around the world. And I was thinking about this. I'm an unhypnotist here. That's my job. (laughs) Marxism says, you know, uh, religion is the opiate of the masses. It's the drug of the people. It puts people to sleep. It's the way they deal with, with suffering and just go, oh, the suffering's okay. That's what Marx said. But really, no. <laughs> Christianity, faith is an attempt to awake people to what is real. Marxism is an atheistic philosophy that says we got to work things out in politics and we can save ourselves by just making good decisions and that person at the top, they make all their decisions and everybody follows along. Does exactly what they say. And Christianity says, God, who created this world, is presenting us truth. We need to follow him. We have a personal responsibility to him. And as you see 
what God tells us. I was saying this at the funeral on Thursday. Things line up. We are sinners. This world is full of sin. The more they say, you know what, we can make this a wonderful life if only, the more destruction is presented in our laws as an acceptable part of our society. The more they say, let's not be divided, they divide. They turn people against one another. There's more extremism on both sides. And God presents his truth. And I'm here trying to unhypnotize people. There's a guy who grew up in the church I grew up in. He was a younger fellow. He was in my youth group. He became a hypnotist. Never came to the Lord. But, I mean, he lived in Chicago. He worked Las Vegas. He did these, these shows, right? And I talked to him about it sometimes. Well, one, one or two times because I only saw him a couple times after he'd gone that direction. And, and he says, you know, I can't hypnotize anybody. I'm just, I'm just up there and I'm just suggesting and seeing who's willing to go along. And I didn't think about this until I was preparing this this week and just thinking, and I'm up here trying to see who's willing to wake up. You know, we come together to kind of jolt each other back to the reality of reality. This world didn't just come out of nothing. All this order All that we see going around us is from God. And that man, Jesus Christ, who came into the world was that reality's sharpest point of intersection with this world. And God spoke through him. He spoke through his death. He spoke through his life, his resurrection, And he said, this is how we live in this world, awake and aware of what's going on. We don't know how to be like God. But his spirit lives in us. And if we have come to Christ by grace, not because of what we've done, by grace. We have this opportunity to live out God's character in our lives. That's what it says at the end of verse six, that we might live in the spirit the way God does. We can't do that, but his spirit can do that. And it's in relationship with God. It's nurturing that relationship. And we saw even as Christ lived in this world. Again and again it was recorded. He spent time apart. Time apart in prayer. Continually took himself out of the context. This is the God man. He was fully divine. And yet, as he lived in this world, he saw it necessary to separate himself from the world and focus on his relationship with Jesus Christ. Or, sorry, his relationship with the Father. Do you think we have that need? Oh, yeah. Oh, we do. To nurture our relationship with the Father. You know, it talks about in, in those first couple of verses, more fruit of the Spirit, the character. It talks about uh, in verse 8, I'm not going to go into it a lot, but keeping, keep loving one another. That's more fruit. And it's not, you know, it starts out as character and then it moves into action, doesn't it? It has to if it's real love. But we see this, this shift 
in these next verses from the fruit of the Spirit to the character that we take on, and we come to another idea that is presented in the Scripture, the gifts of the Spirit, the abilities or the activities that we have been given to do in order that we might serve God and serve those around us. And so we see this happening. We see, you know, Peter saying things, Peter the fisherman, who who maybe didn't use the same words as Paul used, but he's saying the same thing. Walk in the spirit so that you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. Well, what is walking in the spirit? It's that fruit that the spirit produces simply by its presence in us. Think about that. Focus on that. Live that. And it's doing those things that the Spirit empowers us to do. The gifts of the Spirit. You want to sense your purpose with God? Do what He would have you do. And it talks about, verse 9, showing hospitality one another without grumbling. And that's more than just inviting people over for a meal. It is inviting people over for a meal. It is getting together and spending time in fellowship But hospitality is so much more in terms of just serving other people. And that's what it's talked about here. Each one has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Or his grace that that comes in all different ways. When we consider what we read here and what we see in in other passages like 1 Corinthians 12 that, that really talks a lot, gives a very clear explanation of the gifts of the Spirit and how we should be using them. We understand it's God's grace for the service of others. There's no room in this, and this is probably the most important thing to say about the gifts of the Spirit. There is no room for selfish, self-serving posturing when it comes to God's Spirit doing a work in us for the benefit of others. Where are we in that? We're just channels. We're simply instruments. It's the Spirit who does the work. It's God who wants to work through us. And you think... I don't get any credit? No. And in Christ, we understand that and we appreciate that. And we see that it's not me because I can't trust me and I know I'm a sinner. But when I'm able to be involved in the purposes of God, when I see him working through me, that is when I fully understand why I'm here and I appreciate that it's all for his glory it's him working through me for the benefit of others and the moment we start thinking that what we do what we do is is for us to elevate us or it's for our benefit in some way we foul it completely And Jesus talks a lot to the Pharisees. They, you know what, there were a lot of bad people in Jesus' time. Including, you know, not just the regular everyday criminals, but but the Roman Empire. But he saves his harshest criticism for who? For the religious who are trying to use religion for their purposes. He tells the Pharisees, you guys there, you know, you're you're tithing mint and cumin, the seeds from those herbs. You're taking the 10% to offer them to the Lord. He doesn't say that's wrong. But the point was they're doing that to show how wonderful they are and they aren't even loving other people. In fact, they're condemning other people. They're, they're, They're cheating other people. They're stealing from other people, but they're using that religious idea of tithing, which was never a bad thing, to say, oh, look how good we are. 
And he says, you know, you go and you make disciples of other people. When you do that, teaching them a religion of works, a religion that is self-serving, you make them twice the sons of hell that you are. Whoa. That's a condemnation against religiousness being used improperly. How easy is it for me to get sucked into that? To good, do good things so that I look good. So that people think well of me. That's not walking in the spirit. Walking in the spirit is about loving God, oh, greatest commandment, and loving others. It's about loving God enough to serve him, to allow his spirit to work through us, to prompt us. When he says, do this, we just say, yes, Lord. Are you used to saying, yes, Lord? When he pokes and prods, if you have his spirit, He's prompting you to do things and you may feel uncomfortable about those things but those things are going to give you the greatest satisfaction as you say, God's using me. People get all tied up in this. Oh, the gifts of the Spirit. And I want to go to a course and I want to find out how God has gifted me and already you're going down the wrong trail. Best way to find out how God has gifted you, and I'm not saying there's a problem with all of those things that talk about, that study the spiritual gifts, but if you're looking for what is, what is my special gift, then there's something wrong in the thinking there. The best way to find out how God's gifted you is through serving. Every way that comes to your hand that God gives you, serve him. Do what he calls you to do. Don't go, oh, this is my area. I only do this thing. I so appreciated the fact that when I came to this church, this congregation, the same person who, who is giving a lot of input in our Bible study, and sometimes leading it, is the same person who's washing the toilets in the church. Do you see yourselves doing a variety of things in terms of serving the Lord? Do you see yourself as somebody who, yeah, is doing things that maybe nobody will ever notice? Hopefully they won't. You're able to, you know, understand his word and 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 talk about it with others, but you're also not above just humbly loving other people through serving them, even though they'll never know. Wow. We're told in Timothy, do not neglect the gift you have. <laughs> the gift, the thing that maybe is, is how God is, is specifically wanting to use you Maybe it'll be in a public way. Who knows? But don't worry about that. Just serve him. Maybe you'll have a ministry of mentoring, of teaching, of preaching. Or maybe you'll just be doing that in the way that you're supposed to be doing that because we're all supposed to be involved in those areas. Sharing God's truth with other people. That's what we go into. It's the very next section here in Peter's walking in the spirit. Just to conclude this part. 1 Corinthians 12, 4-7. Now there are a variety of gifts. Very grace is what Peter calls it. A variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are a variety of service, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in every one. And to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. What an opportunity to serve God, to allow His Spirit to work through our lives 
to serve other people. So we have the fruit of the Spirit. We have the gifts of the Spirit. And the last thing that comes up in the, the last verse, the, the, the last new thing, is it does go back and talk about serving again, but this is a way we serve. It says in, in verse 11, whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God. Boy, we could run two different directions with that, couldn't we? Oh, I could never preach. I don't know enough. I could never, I could never preach. That's the one hand. And on the other hand, we tend to go toward when I speak. It's like we believe we're giving new revelation. I'm going to give a word from the Lord. And I'm going to speak on his behalf, even if I'm contradicting the scriptures. Two different directions. But what about where we should be at with this? What does that mean to speak the oracles of God? Well, what's an oracle? An oracle, by definition, that word there in the New Testament is a brief statement of divine truth. saying them, why do you preach so long? Because I'm trying to pack together a whole lot of oracles. But there's, you know what? As, as I preach, as we go through this word, God has something general that he's saying to all of us in there, but there's something specific. And as we go through a passage, grab on to what it is that God is saying to you, apply this to your life today. Because that's what I'm doing for me. But this idea of an oracle, an oracle of God, think about it. Can anybody say something for the Lord in a certain circumstance, in a certain situation, to a certain person? There's been a lot of that going on the last little while. People just saying, hey, how about this verse for you? Because an oracle of God, it's, it's from God. And the less it has to do with us personally, the better. If people see it as coming from God, you share some truth that God has impressed on your heart that he's taught you and you see somebody who's in need. They're hurting. They're struggling in some way. Maybe with sin. And you come alongside and you encourage them. God, through his spirit, works through you so you can speak truth into somebody else's life. It's a responsibility of everybody. If you're a believer in Christ, you have the spirit. You're responsible to use the spirit, to live in the spirit, to walk in the spirit. And this is going on the offense, right? This is doing some of the work that God has given each of us to do. This opportunity to live in relationship with him and be an instrument for him in the world. Are you speaking truth? Do you sense the spirit working through you? And maybe it's not always so mystical as people trying to make it think but wow God has taught me this and I see this person and I see this need and I want to come alongside and I want to encourage them how much of our conversation is that we're talking about truth we're challenging and encouraging one another just by talking it's not necessarily that you're 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 there going you need to know this and you need to change what, you know, it's, it's just we're talking about truth. This is what Peter's saying. We've got the spirit. His character should be coming from your life. Think seriously about that. Nurture your relationship. Pray and God will speak through you. God will work through you. 
be serving him, using your gifts, which sometimes aren't specifically, oh, this is a gift, but this is a gift. This is an area where you have been, it's been opened for you to do something on his behalf. And we live in such a socially backward culture that we go, well, I don't want to overstep my bounds. I might offend them if I did that for them or if I came alongside and offered or if I, you know, there are all sorts of ways to talk ourselves out of doing what God has, has given us to do. Let's be people who have a little more freedom, freedom in the right way. And we just, oh, there's a need. I'll step in there. Well, that person's her. I'll, I, I'm going to go and I'm going to do whatever I can. Maybe it's just be a friend. And this idea of communicating, communicating truth because God wants to communicate through us. He wants us to speak his truth. And it's his truth. Not in a pious way. Not in a way that's saying, oh, I, I know. <laughs> Heaven forbid. That arrogance comes so easily to us. Let's remember it's God's truth and it's for their benefit. So how is it we walk in the Spirit? We haven't been talking a lot about specific activities and the rigorous application of this, but drop the sin the sin that you're struggling with, the sin that God is convicting you about. Just, just drop it. Live consciously in the reality of who God is through prayer. Serve others by serving, or serve, I should say, by serving others. Don't serve by doing good works. No, serve by serving God and serving others with a supernatural love and speak truth. Speak God's truth, substantial truth in a way that will communicate what he wants us to be communicating. It'll be a demonstration of God's grace, of his granting us power and it will be all for his glory maybe what I've said this morning hasn't been completely clear but go back to this passage because if you have the spirit of God living in you he'll direct your heart direct your mind and he'll say this is how this applies to your life to your situation and we'll be people who are glorifying him in ways that are unnatural. And he'll be honored. And that is everything we want as children of God. It's everything that we are longing for. Sometimes we think we're longing for other things, but no, it's everything that we are longing for is to honor God. And he'll lead you in this. He'll lead us in this. And we will have the joy. The joy of seeing the spirit of God working in us, working through us in this world. And we'll know we can hang on to the end. Because it's not our power, it's his. It's his presence in us. Father, help us. We see your word. We see what it says. And we know we struggle. We know we've struggled. Maybe we've been bogged down for a long time in something. Some specific sin or some specific disobedience where we haven't gone forward and done what you've called us to do. Lord, may we truly have your hope in us today. 
And may we see your redemptive power, how you can redeem us from this struggle, this position, this problem today, and, and move forward in our relationship with you. Simple as it sounds, help us to love you more. Help us to live out that love through the power of your spirit in us and through us. Amen.